Welcome to the Irresistible Marketing Pod, the podcast that teaches you how to tap into your emotional power to create magical and magnetic marketing, and how to use those powers for good, because buying is emotional, folks. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Isa Gauchi, the marketing confidence cheerleader and owner of the M. Isa Messaging Digital Marketing Agency for creative, rebellious small businesses. In today's episode, I have a special treat for y'all. I am interviewing Sarah Beyer, who is my business coach, on sexiness in marketing. There's something that's felt really powerful to me about no longer needing to separate the different aspects of myself like I used to in corporate or past jobs where I had to keep my dance life, which was a huge source of joy and like my whole social life and biggest hobby really separate from work when I worked as a newspaper reporter or when I worked in corporate tech marketing for a long time. It was my greatest fear. Anybody in like the journalism or business corporate settings would find out about my secret dance life and call me unprofessional or Uh, send a bunch of unwanted attention my way. And so it's been so powerful to start incorporating a full integrated version of myself when I'm marketing my own business and realizing that I get to be my full self and still make money. I get to redefine what professionalism means to me and the more aggressively, violently myself that I am in my marketing the better my marketing is at attracting my most aligned customers. I, in reflecting with Sarah during this conversation, realized that when I first opened my marketing agency and was kind of hadn't really shed the the notions that had been so ingrained in me that you can't be controversial and make money. You can't be controversial and be professional and was still kind of keeping the different parts of myself separate, I was attracting aligned clients that had a very narrow definition of professionalism as well um, when I first opened my business. And I was having similar experiences to when I was doing corporate marketing and ultimately decided to, to leave because it felt so unaligned with my authentic self and my values and the creative, the creativity and the work that I found meaningful and opened my own business. And it wasn't until I started being more aggressively myself in my marketing that I started getting really, really aligned clients value-wise, clients who wanted to work with me because I am a queer Chicana woman and I know the lingo and I know what it's like to inhabit a marginalized identity in settings that weren't built for me and how to speak to other people who have similar experiences to that. And so like now if you go to my Instagram feed, you probably see me roller skating in booty shorts and pole dancing in some of my reels that are talking about marketing. And you know what? It certainly hasn't hurt my following and it certainly has helped my bottom line and not because I'm attracting a bunch of creepy unwanted attention, but because the people that most need my voice, that most need my experiences, my perspective and and lived um, lived understanding of being in a marginalized identity, they the people that most need that person to create their marketing 
content and strategy, the people that most need that perspective to help them navigate entrepreneurship and building a sustainable, lasting marketing strategy that's going to grow their business, those people now instantly recognize me when they stumble across my content, across my Instagram feed, and they wouldn't have instantly felt that kinship or um, recognition if I was, you know, keeping my personal um, life so totally separate like I used to in corporate world. Like if I wasn't so aggressively queer in my marketing, if I wasn't pole dancing in my marketing, if I wasn't talking about how uh, being BIPOC affects um, or throws some extra obstacles in your way when you're, you're trying to make your own rules for running businesses and industries that have traditionally not valued your perspective like it's because I'm so aggressively loud about that stuff and so open about it that my people are able to find me and recognize me and trust me to be the right person to help them so today I'm talking to Sarah about sexiness in marketing because when I started allowing myself to be sexy in my marketing I felt like that was really a turning point in understanding that now I'm being authentic in the way I'm marketing my business. Now I'm attracting the right people. Now I'm scaring away the wrong people by um, allowing people to see that this is who I am. This is the marketer you're choosing to work with or, or run away from. And Sarah was really a big inspiration for me because when I was first opening my business, I felt like I was just drowning in all the uncertainty and all new and all the new information. And um, I'd been recommended her as a business coach, but I, I still had a lot of deep skepticism about the coaching industry. And it was a, a pretty big investment for me when I first opened my business. So I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it. Like it sounded good. Her messaging was on point. I was like, she's saying she offers all of these things that I need, all this like know-how for entrepreneurship and emotional support. And I need that, but I, I don't know, this real big investment. And then she posted this amazing reel where she's um, just dancing. Um, she's twerking like the badass she is. And she's talking about how she's been at this for a minute. And even back before she was wildly successful um, and very financially secure, she was dancing like this in her marketing. And at one point in her career, she got some pushback from that. And, and just the way she handled that pushback was so empowering. It was a response that never would have occurred to me at that time. And so she's, she's kind of my sexiness in marketing inspo. And it, it was my first understanding um, in seeing someone else that authenticity means you can stop fracturing yourself, even if you're in a marginalized identity, even if um, the way you live your life is considered controversial by some and that you can still have a wildly successful business you can still have a big platform and so I wanted to bring her on to talk about sexiness and marketing and her approach to it and how she talks about it with her clients and I think it's such a great conversation and so without further ado I'm gonna let you hear it Welcome, Sarah Beyer. I'm so excited to talk with you about sexiness in marketing because you are actually my sexy marketing inspiration. Would you like to introduce yourself for the peoples? Oh my gosh. Hi, I'm Sarah Beyer and I'm a sexy marketing inspiration. I had no idea. <laughs> I love that. Um, that's high praise. I'm really excited to hear that. Um, 
I am also the owner of Intuitive Edge Coaching. I'm a life and business coach for artists, creatives, and healers. And I'm a dancer and a choreographer and a teacher of creative process, which is what I was doing for 20 years before I was coaching. So that's where a lot of my, I guess, sexiness in marketing comes from is just being a dancer and sharing that in my marketing for my coaching business. So before uh, Sarah, agreed to come on I'd emailed her that gosh your cat Sarah's cat is um dangling upside down in her screen but anyway before I invited Sarah to come on I let her know that when I first opened my business and was making the transition from like corporate person um to having my own business and making my own rules I knew I needed help but uh, something like coaching was a really big investment for me. So I was kind of like waffling for a long time until she posted this really awesome thing. Um, so Sarah, can I just let you explain in your own words, uh, what that story was and why it was important to you to share with your people? It was the one about twerking, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've shared that, that reel a couple times and it always does well when I share it. Um, so when I first started my coaching business, I had some feelings of like, maybe I have to keep my dance work and my dance life separate from coaching. Like maybe people won't take me seriously as a coach. And um, I just kind of tried to keep those two worlds separate. Um, and I had a uh, at the time, this was early in my business. I think I was like barely making 5K a month. And I had a client, it wasn't a, a coaching client. I was doing some some consulting for this person. And I also taught as a movement teacher in their company. And it was a corporate uh, movement business. So like we went into people's offices and taught, you know, yoga or Zumba or stuff on lunch breaks at corporate office buildings. And so that uh, the owner of that business contacted me and said that one of our clients found a video of me dancing on the internet. I guess I was twerking in the video and they brought it to my boss and they were like very concerned about it. Um, and she, she didn't care. Like she was cool, but I think, you know, this is her company and it is a, we go into corporate offices company. And so she tried to hit me with like a little bit of a concerned parent vibe of like, is this professional? Do you want this on the internet? This is something to consider. And, you know, like you're an account rep for my company and our clients can find these things. And, you know, I thought about it for a second and I told her that she should fire me. Um, I was like, I, I don't think I'm the right fit for the business because first of all, I don't see anything wrong with my dancing. Um, I'm not willing to change how I dance or what I share or what I'm doing. And I'm not willing to like limit my creative expression. I'm not even going to get into like the what types of dance are quote unquote professional or acceptable conversation. I'm not going to do that. Like it's not my company. I don't need to engage on that level. I just probably shouldn't work here. And I felt it was so valuable because it like solidified what my values were for me and helped me articulate like, oh, I don't believe in this. So I'm not going to separate it in my business. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to be worried about people finding my dancing and thinking that if I dance in a way that they find sexy or provocative, that it makes me less capable as a coach or as a business owner. And anyone who thinks that 
wouldn't be a great match to be in a space with me anyway, because they're going to get to know me as soon as I get on a call. Um, And so I removed myself from that gig. And the next month I had like a 17K cash month. It was like my biggest cash month to date in my business. Um, And it felt like this big confirmation that like reclaiming or claiming all of who I am and all of my personality and all of the things that make me me, including the way I dance, was an important part of the soul of my business. That's, I remember just feeling like such a light opening up, like when I saw that post, because for me at the time when I was in corporate and for like a lot of the clients that come to me now where they feel like their marketing's like, it's just kind of surface level. It's not connecting with people. And the, and um, one of their greatest fears is being called unprofessional. And there's just so much shame associated with that word, especially if you're someone who is like a person of color or queer and like a lot of aspects of who you are as a person are you're told over and over again that they're unprofessional. So I find like a lot of people have like a lot of shame associated with the word professional. Did you have to come on a personal journey for um, redefining professionalism for yourself to get to that point at all? Or do you find you have to help your clients do that sometimes? All of the above. And I think like you just said it, right? People of color, queer folks, people in larger bodies, disabled people, um, they, we are, as a queer, I'm a queer Jewish person, um, like a a queer femme Jewish person in a larger body, uh, people who have the word unprofessional leveled at us, and it's usually code for something else. And so for me, like being really clear that like the word professional, that the ideas of the standards of professionalism are white supremacy and are the patriarchy. They are coded like you are not a white man. You are not a a cis, heterosexual, able-bodied white man who fits our ideals. So you're not professional. Like that's what that means. And so once I like really like, tapped into that, I was like, oh, well, that's not my definition of professional, right? Like my definition of professional is, do I get my job done? Do I get my clients results? Um, Do I show up when I say I'm going to show up? Do I deliver the things I say I'm going to deliver? Do I do my job with integrity? So to me, like if all of those conditions are happening, then it's professional. And like what I look like, who I, can we cuss on this podcast? Absolutely. Oh, great. What I look like, who I fuck, what I do outside of work, um, what my body looks like, uh, the things I say even, like, I cuss, I cuss in my marketing. I remember, like, I think about this all the time. A few years ago, I was home for Thanksgiving and I was working on a landing page for one of my programs and my dad looked at it. My dad's, I want to bring my dad on my podcast, I think, because my dad has a business, but he's like a very old school businessman. I think it would be funny to have him on the podcast. Um, But he saw my landing page and he's like, should there be naked ladies on this? I don't think you should say fuck so much. I don't know if this is right. And I was like, yeah, dad, you are not my ideal client. Like, I want to alienate you. 
I want people like you to look at my marketing and be like, this is not for me because I don't want you to show up in a space with me and be uncomfortable, right? That's a, it's a blessing when you alienate people because you're also saving them from an experience where they would spend money and get into a container where they realize that they're uncomfortable. They're at the wrong party. And so the more I can let people know up front what kind of party it's going to be, the uncomfortable moment where you show up and realize I've made the wrong investment. I'm in the wrong space. Like part of why I feel like I love this story so much and it probably does so well for you whenever you post it is like when I first saw it, I could imagine myself in these situations and like your boss says, um, I don't know if this is okay. A client complained about you. I like, up to that point, I would have gone into an immediate shame spiral. I would have apologized, taken everything down, like separated out my accounts and then like be really worried I'd be fired for a while. Like I know like that's what I would have done like when I first saw that post when I was still in corporate. And so it was so freeing, like that never would have occurred to me. Like you're not like financially secure yet. And to still just be like, then I'm not the right person to work with you. Um, like that, I, I was like, at the time, I didn't know that kind of thing was an option. Do you want to talk about a little about your own journey where you realized you had agency, <laughs> like regardless of what your financial situation in your business was? Yes. Um. Sorry, that noise was a cat jumping. Um. But I want to say like a little bit of that still came up and I don't want it to sound like my immediate reaction was, I don't give a fuck. It wasn't. I felt all the things. I felt like, oh no, I'm scared. I did something wrong. Like I'm still a person and I still have those things come up. But what I think part of my journey and where I was in my journey at that point was becoming more and more finely attuned to the feelings of contrast in my own body. So I felt both like, oh no, that's scary. I'm quote unquote in trouble. And then I also felt, wait, that's not fair. And wait, that's not fair is really important for me to listen to. Um, Evelie Bristellium, but also like, that's a big part of my journey toward entrepreneurship is like, I've never been a great follower. I've never been a person, like even when I was a little kid, like I would get detention for reading in school because they'd be like, it's math time. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> they'd be like, you need to know this. I'd be like, I don't think I do. They're like, you're eight. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I don't want to do it. I've always been that person. So some of it is just me and like the if I don't see a good reason to do it, I really don't want to. Um, I And that's part of why I'm an, an entrepreneur is that I'm like very unemployable because if I'm not on board with people's leadership decisions, I check out and I know that about myself. So me really tapping into my own feelings about when things aren't fair and checking in with myself about them and analyzing them and being like, what is this, right? Is this ego and defensiveness or is this striking something in me that's important for me to listen to? And I spent some time with it and I did have all the scarcity thoughts of like, am I making enough money? What's going to happen? And I was like, 
No, it feels it feels right and important to me that this conversation is happening now at this early stage of my business to show me like this was a crossroads moment and I felt it. I felt in my body with these two sensations of do I like go more into the closet kind of with who I am in my own business? Do I pull back my marketing? Um I mean, because my first question was, well, where did they see it, right? Like, to me, that would that was always my thought about, like, you know, sex work stuff is like, oh, a client found out you had an OnlyFans. I'm like, so the client's on OnlyFans as a customer is what I'm hearing. So what? You're going to fire me because your client pays for girls OnlyFans, but I have one? Like, that doesn't make sense. I, again, like, on the, it doesn't make sense, so it doesn't feel fair, so I'm not going to buy into it. So the first thought was, like, that means this client Googled my name or they went and sought me out. They found my my dance Instagram, not my professional profile. So they were looking for me, first of all. <laughs> and then they had a reaction. And now I'm supposed to change. I don't even know this person. Like it just nothing about it felt right. Nothing felt fair. And I felt that it was a crossroads moment of I kind of like shrink myself back down and I apologize for this little few hundred dollars a month that I make from this gig or I let this go and I go make more money in my own business where I don't have to follow any rules that aren't my rules. And that's the whole point of having a business for me is I don't follow any rules that aren't my rules. Oh, that's so good. Do you mind giving for the people where this is a new concept, like how you knew in your body, the difference between the like anxiety brain, like, Oh no, I did something wrong. And the, but wait, this isn't fair. Like, how could you tell that, that they were coming from different places and which one you wanted to listen to? Oh, so one clue with anxiety brain is that it happens in your brain. If I'm in a thought spiral, I'm not in my body at all. So I'm probably not feeling my own feelings. I'm probably playing a recording in my head of something other people have said to me. Um, and the best thing, and like I have that, everyone has that. When I notice that I'm in a thought spiral, for me, the best thing I can do is try to get into my body. And for me, that happens through movement. So whether that's dancing or tapping or doing a breathwork practice, stretching, going for a walk, like doing something where I can really feel my own feelings is is key. And sometimes that takes a while, depending on how intense the thought spiral is. And it used to take me longer to get out of the thought spiral and into my body um, than it does now because I've been practicing it for a long time. That's unfair. Ever since I was a little kid, that's unfair feels like fiery in my chest and in my throat. Like I want to yell. I feel my fists ball up. Like there's like a an immediate kind of rush when something feels unfair. Um, the I'm in trouble feeling feels historical to me. Like I, I remember feeling that same feeling in like second grade. It's like this like old, like that's a child part of me that's like, I just got called to the principal's office. And so I notice those. So like a question I think if you're if you're kind of new to some of this work is like, does this remind me of something? Does this feeling remind me of anything? When was the first time I remember feeling this way? Do I feel this way a lot? 
who are the people I talk to when I feel this way? And like sometimes that can help us figure out if something is a an, a child part or a teenage part, like a younger part of us that's showing up. Um, it's okay that those parts show up. We all walk around with all of our past experiences right there with us all the time. And sometimes they show up. To me, one of the best things about being a grown up or whatever I am now, a big person, is that um, I get to decide when those things show up, which one of myself I want to let be in charge of my business. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. My inner child can be in charge of lots of things, but usually like she can't be in charge of business decisions. Sometimes she can be in charge of marketing because she can be quite creative and fun. Um, but like my wounded parts don't get to make money decisions. <laughs> they don't get to make business decisions. Like they get to make decisions about like movies, food. <laughs> Like there are lots of things they get to be in charge of, but like running the business is not usually one of them. So I was, I'm hoping you can talk about, I feel like for myself and for clients, there's something particular to allowing your people to see you being sexy and feeling sexy in your marketing that feels kind of like revolutionary, that just kind of like accomplishes a lot of things at once. And like my suspicion is that, um, sexiness when you're feeling sexy, like kind of requires being connected to your body and your feelings and like feeling in control of them. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that or your observation there. I want to go, I want to like I want to sub question the question first because yeah. I was thinking a lot about this conversation before we had it. And I was thinking about when I've either heard clients talk about being worried that they're being too sexy or when I've seen critiques sometimes from, from women and femmes and online marketing about um, people using sex or like using overt sexuality in their marketing and in a way that's like, I, I've seen some some call outs of personal development marketing and coaching marketing and um, stuff like that, where it's like you're like it's accusing the owner of the account or the marketer of, of quote unquote, using sexuality in a way that seems coercive or manipulative. Right. Like that, like you're using sex to sell kind of accusations. And so I was thinking about that and it kind of led me down a path of, of two thoughts. And the first one, and this is one we can just like, it's really easy to set, to say and set aside. There's a question of authenticity that's at play. So if you are doing something that's not authentic to you and your personality with the intention of like, oh, I'm going to manipulate people into buying from me by showing my titties. That's different. It's also what's used by big coercive marketing, right? Like when we think of like, what's it called? Obje objective correlatives, right? Like I'm going to sell this beer by showing half naked girls in the hopes that I will subconsciously plant 
in the mind of dudes who like beer and hot girls that if they buy this beer, they will be somehow connected to the essence of hot girl. That's sleazy. That's not good. That's using sex in marketing in a way that is designed to get people into an arousal state to get them to buy, right? Like that is using sex and sexuality and really co-opting usually the female form for a company to sell something that has nothing to do with the body of the person they're using to sell the thing, right? So sometimes when we're talking about like when people are like, oh, you're using sex to sell, I feel like you're talking about that type of marketing. Mm -hmm. So as long as you are not doing something inauthentic to you with the goal of manipulation, which I don't think any of our people are doing, I think that whole concept can be dismissed. Like that can be checked. The secondary conversation becomes sexiness is about perception. I don't ever think I'm being sexy in marketing. I'm being myself existing in my body on the internet and being sensual and playful and sometimes doing things that I find sexual are authentic to my personality. Some people might find it sexy. Some people might find it completely off-putting. I'm not being sexy in my marketing. I'm sexy and I'm marketing my business on the internet. Those two things just happen to go hand in hand. I'm not doing it on purpose. So it, it kind of like led me to thoughts about like, you remember a while ago, this comes up every now and then, like you'll see like a, a weather person from TV or like an elementary school teacher is suddenly like going viral on Twitter because the school district has decided that she's overtly sexual, right? There'll be something that's like, would you want your kindergartner showing up to school and this is their teacher? And it's usually a beautiful, very curvaceous woman. Frequently, it's a, a beautiful, curvaceous woman of color. And it becomes this kind of buzz, right? I think a while ago, someone like sued their school district because they had a disciplinary action against them because they were quote unquote, like being too sexy at school. And then I look at pictures of this woman and she's wearing a completely professional outfit on a body type that our society hypersexualizes. And so we start getting into this thing of like, I've been hypersexualized by people my entire life. I've also grown up in this world where when women, when those socialized as female, when those perceived as female in society receive unwanted sexual attention and we say something about it, it's usually turned back around onto us of like, you shouldn't have dressed that way. You shouldn't have worn that thing. You shouldn't have been dancing like that. Like, right? Like we are hypersexualized and then it's made our fault and our problem. And so the idea that I can First of all, control what people think about my body. I can't. I could wear a baggy t-shirt and basketball shorts and there are gonna be people who think that's super sexy. I could wear a form-fitting dress and there are gonna be people who think that's super sexy. There could also be people who think that that's off-putting and unprofessional or disgusting or that people my size shouldn't wear tight clothes. There's nothing I can ever do to control, A, the fact that 
I'm a femme living life in public. So everyone's going to have opinions about my fucking body and what I look like and everything I do. And there's nothing I can do about that. They could find me sexy or not. I can't control that. If I try to control that in any way, trying to control what people think about us in our marketing is the kiss of death across the board. So this is just one more thing that is about how people perceive me that I can't control whether I try to or not. But I think that what, what, what a lot of times I hear people really saying when they're like, I'm worried about being too sexy in my marketing, I'm worried about being perceived as unprofessional, I'm worried that people aren't going to like it, is I have internalized a lifetime of other people hypersexualizing me, that having negative, dangerous consequences for me, and believing that that is my fault and something within my control, and that if I can just wear the right thing and do the right thing and say the right thing and show up the right way, I can control the way that people perceive me and I can protect myself and my business from potentially negative or dangerous consequences. And the good news and the bad news is we can't. And I say that that's good news and bad news because it's bad that we can't. It sucks that people are going to think whatever they want about us no matter what and that we have no control over that. That's a hard pill to swallow. It's also incredibly freeing because now you can just like fucking be yourself and wear what you want and do what you want and know that like some people are going to like it and some people are going to hate it just like everything else you do in your marketing. And if you're a sexy person in your life and you enjoy that about yourself and you wear low-cut things or tight things or you dress in a way that emphasizes your features in your body or whatever it is that's sexy to you, that's your authentic self. And if you have a personal brand, that's going to be part of your marketing or your marketing will suffer. There was so much gold there. Um, First of all, thank you so much for drawing the distinction between like co-opting someone else's body that's been stereotyped sexually for like coercive marketing. Um, That's so important. That's really different from my main um, scenario I want to talk about here, which is just like Sarah said, if sexiness or things that are often perceived as sexy is kind of intrinsic to who you are as person and you have a service or product-based business that's geared towards other adults and um, not allowing yourself to be any way that might be perceived as sexy or you're afraid will be perceived that way in your marketing actually makes your marketing inauthentic. That's mainly what we're talking about here, just to clarify. So we're not talking about like exploit other people's sexiness or like (laughs) jump on trends. So thank you so much for, um, Yeah. And I wanted to say that because like I know none of our people are doing that, but it's like it's in the zeitgeist. And so I think like it's worth saying when people are concerned about like, oh, my gosh, is is my marketing going to be too sexy? Underneath that, there is like a concern about coercive tactics, I think. And those are well founded. Like none of us want to be coercive in our marketing. And like that is what a lot of big companies do. And none of us are doing that. Yeah, I think that also might be like, if you're a person that's had to deal with a lot of harassment in the workplace, um, which I was in corporate in the newspaper, I was facing so much daily harassment that when dance was such a huge part of my life, there was absolutely zero 
um, percent of me that wanted any of my coworkers, anybody I dealt with on the job to see me in that way because I was already fielding so much harassment. So it was really scary for me to like try to integrate all the parts of myself when I opened my own business, even though I knew like my aligned customers for this business are going to be like are probably not going to be cis men that are going to hit on women um, in the workplace. <laughs> like that's not my people. Um, and that the more I was sexy overtly in my marketing, because that's part of who I am as a person, I pole dance, I like do all kinds of things. Um, like I actually noticed more women started being interested in working with me. Um, like there were less, uh, like cis hetero men that were like knocking at my door for marketing help. And it was more women started feeling safe with me. And also the harassment in the DMs went down, interestingly. And so I think there's like part of the fear of like letting yourself be sexy in the marketing might be like environmentally conditioned because you're so used to getting harassed in the workplace. You're and so used to being blamed for it that you're like, what if I'm just inviting it? But there's something so powerful of just being like, no, this is mine um, that makes it I, I don't I don't even know, like. Other people feel less like they can take it from you. I think that that's true. And I also think that, like. People are really savvy, right? Um People on the internet, people on social media, we all consume lots and lots and lots of content and people are pretty savvy. And there are subtle coding things that people pick up on that they don't know that they are picking up on in terms of what's for them and what's not what's not for them. There is a different vibe between the accounts of like hot girls who have a predominantly male following and hot girls who have a predominantly female following, right? So it's like you pole dancing and dancing and skating on your page with captions and um, like uh, like text overlays that are about self-ownership, that are about self-improvement, that are about like your inner musings about the world and like what you're thinking about and how these things connect it makes the account read more as technically as like a body positivity and personal liberation brand. And so the dudes who have like a Finsta that's just full of hot girls they follow, they're like, I'm not interested in this. I don't want to hear what you think about stuff. I just want to like look at pictures of hot girls on my Instagram, which I get like there, I'm not knocking having a Finsta full of hot girls. Like I might, may or may not have one. Um, <laughs> but like my, my dance account, has like 8,000 followers on it. And I would say like 85% of the followers on that account are women. And many of them women in the like 30 to 45 age bracket. They can see in the work and in the captions and in what I'm doing that this is more a a body positivity or like body liberation or self-reclamation, self-empowerment themed journey that includes dancing than it is something designed for the male gaze. And like people are pretty good at self-sorting. They can feel the difference. 
Yeah. And I also just want to state emphatically in case it wasn't clear or someone needs to hear this, that you being sexy in your marketing is not an invitation for harassment. <laughs> um, it's, it's not, they are to totally two different things. Um, which brings me to my next question, Sarah, have you had to coach yourself or your clients on if you do show up in this authentic way and we can't control how other people per perceive us, but other per people perceive us as using sex or whatever, how um, do we handle the pushback and what boundaries do we need? Hmm. I will first say that it's entirely up to the person who has the account. Um, there was a long time that I just deleted stuff. Like I didn't, I just didn't respond. Um, there are certain types of hate that I don't respond to. Every once in a while, I'll get like fat shaming on my dance page and I just delete it. Like I don't need to deal with those things. Um, and now it, it depends on the comment, but I the most recent one that's coming to mind is I posted a video kind of recently. I made a reel, and it was literally just a snippet from my dance practice, but I was wearing like, like a bikini and pleasers. And I used this snippet of me dancing underneath a caption that says the two most limiting phrases in your vocabulary are that's just how I am and that's just how life is. And then I wrote a caption about asking yourself better questions. And somebody made a comment where they said, like, OMG, the clout chase is so real. Isn't this a coaching page? SMH, naked on the internet. And I first looked at this person's account, and this was clearly a Finsta. They had, like, they followed 30 people and had no followers and no posts, and it was a private page. So I was like, first of all, I'm not taking feedback from an invisible person. But second of all, <laughs> um, okay. And so I just wrote back, and I said something to the effect of, like, um, I am also a professional dancer, and a choreographer, here's a link to my dance page. If you were to scroll through my page, you would see a lot of dancing throughout my posts about my coaching work. This is something that's authentic to my life. The amazing thing about human beings is that we're able to be more than one thing. And they wrote back and they were like, that was such a resilient answer that I can't even fault it. I'm going to delete my comment. And they deleted their own comment. I love that so much. Like. I had a question early on, like, what does you being sexy have to do with business? And like, my initial response was like the shame, anxiety brain. And then um, when I thought about it, I was like, well, it's like what we were talking about before, like professionalism gets to be something we define for ourselves. And the reason I'm in business particularly is because I want other marginalized businesses to win. I want businesses that are making the world a better place to win and that we aren't going to win if we follow other people's definitions of professionalism or how you're supposed to market or what part of your identity is allowed in a business setting. And so it kind of 
like being sexy in my marketing is breaking so many of the rules that were holding me back before. And it's such a, like a quick way to communicate. Like you don't have to do the things that other people were telling you have to do that were holding you back. Um, which I think is, it's just so powerful. And especially for femmes, for people in bodies or, um, gender expressions or like racial, uh perceptions that other people have typically tried to control the sexuality of it's so powerful to just be like no this is part of me and I'm owning it and I'm letting you see it because I am not ashamed of any part of myself in my business I just went off on a rant (laughs) no I think it's great and I also think that like just funny answers sometimes like if somebody's like what does being sexy have to do with marketing I would be like so you're saying you think I'm sexy, right? Like I would just turn it back around on them. I'm like, oh, so you think I'm hot. Do you want to PayPal me? Because you send you my cash app, right? Like I would just like completely turn it around. But also like when in the history of marketing and business was sex not involved? Right, ever. (laughs) Yeah, like I think the turning it around is good because it reminds them that this is about their perception, right? Like, so you think I'm sexy and you have feelings about whether or not someone being sexy can also be professional. That's a you problem. I don't have those questions. So you should think about that. Um, The other thing that I like to do sometimes, and again, when I say this is up to the individual, like, it's like, do do I have time today? Because there are some days that I don't have time and there are some days I don't have resilience. There are some days I don't feel like engaging. There are some days that I don't want to play the game. And there are other days where I'm like, "Mm, I got time today. I feel a little spicy. Like, you want to play? Let's play. So if you feel like engaging, you are not under any obligation to. You don't owe trolls on the Internet education. And I also feel like a lot of times people don't say these things or ask these questions with good faith. There are, sadly people in the world who like they're not happy and they like the way that I try to think about it is like they don't have have any place where they say what they think where they feel powerful where they feel fully expressed and so they go around and like make shitty comments under people's posts on Instagram because this is the only place where they get to be themselves or like be powerful or like flex and like they have a sad life. So first of all, like, I have to take that with a grain of salt. Somebody going around making shitty comments on people's Instagrams to make them feel bad is having a much worse day and probably a much worse quality of life than I am. So like, I try to just like send them love and like prayers and be like, wow, you're suffering. Like you are right. Like you're suffering. If this is how you spend your time, you're suffering. Who, what hot, happy person do you know that's going around hating on other people's Instagrams? No one. So there's that. If you feel like being generous to the sad person trolling you, sometimes I call it playing dumb, but it's essentially engaging with the question or the statement as though it is a good faith question or statement, even though you know it's not. So I'm going to pretend that you really just asked me that because you're curious and I'm going to give you a heartfelt, honest answer based on the idea that you've never had anyone explain to you why X, Y, Z. And I'm just going to tell you and then I'm going to leave this comment here 
so that anyone else who might have this question can see it, but also so that other people who might be really afraid of getting trolled or like that their immediate response to this would be to shut down can see me handle this in a really graceful way and see my answer. Um, I also feel like sometimes those people are a gift because I think in my most generous moments, I think of every single person as being God talking to me. And like sometimes people show up and they say the thing that you're most afraid someone will say, and you get to have the opportunity to hear yourself stand up to that voice in public. And so like having someone show up and say the thing you're most afraid someone would say, like, I think you should take your Instagram down, or I don't think you should do this in public, or, you know, you're just a clout chaser. You're, you know, like, aren't you embarrassed, right? I had somebody early in my business send me a message and say, I think that this kind of work should be free. And I feel like you're, you know, um, trying to capitalize on people's insecurities. And I was like, oh, wow, this person just showed up and said the biggest thing I'm afraid someone will think when they see my prices. And now I get to sit here and have a conversation with them and give them all of this love and engage with this conversation as though this is a good faith conversation, even though like I'm smart enough to know it's not. And I can feel the part of my ego that wants to cuss them out. I'm going to pretend I don't hear the snark and I'm just going to take this as an opportunity to answer this question from my heart. And every time I've had the resource and the presence of mind to do that, I've had a really powerful, productive interaction with the person. I love that. So um, just for the people out there, not that you need our permission, but you have Sarah's and my permission to handle pushback or harassment, however you see fit. And however you see fit is valuable for your people to see. Um, so if that's deleting them, so other people don't have to see the hate, that's great. If that's responding to them kindly, um, that's great. If it's being snarky and making them look like a fool, that's great too. You handle it however you want. They're stampeding into your internet house. So <laughs> I'm also a big fan. If it's really, if it's a really good one. I will screenshot people's comments and leave their name up and do a green screen or a series of reels explaining what my answer is. Because I'm like, oh, you're voicing like a really common misconception that I think needs to be addressed and would be beneficial for people to hear my take on. And you're a dick for saying it this way and I'm gonna put you on blast. <laughs> And this is my space, right? Like you came to my house, knocked on my door. And when I answered, you dropped this information off here with your name attached to it. That is not my fault. Like I don't wipe anybody's name out. You said this publicly. So it gets to be public domain now. If I make content out of your snarky comment, <laughs> you set yourself up for that. Like I have... I have also, I mean, it depends on how bad it is. I have um, gotten in contact with people's mothers and sent their mother <laughs> screenshots. Because uh, sometimes they're very young. Like I've, when I've gotten like kind of aggressive hate from from young men, I'm like, you're on Facebook connected to your whole family. <laughs> I have sent screenshots to wives. Um, like I am not protecting anyone's bad behavior. And so if it's really egregious, um, 
I think that some woman in your life should handle it, but it shouldn't be me because I don't know you and I'm not your mom, but I can find your mom and she can talk to you about it. Uh, Like, this is the internet. Don't do that. But yeah, like anything also that's like, um, I do think of my Instagram First of all, it's a private space, right? Like it, it is public, but it's my Instagram. You can post whatever you want on your page. But if you come post it on my page, I get to decide what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I also think of my comment section and my followers on my Instagram as a community. So my role as the leader of that community is also to make sure that I'm taking care of the people I like in the community. So if you leave something that's like really potentially triggering or offensive, I'm probably going to delete it because I don't want anyone else to come across it and have their day ruined by seeing something triggering. But if it's mild enough that I can just like, that I can engage it, I'll leave it. But I do, I just personally want to share, it's okay to be protective of your comment section with the, the idea in mind that like, your ideal clients are probably people like you who would see this comment and have their feelings hurt by it or be triggered by it. And if you want to spare them from seeing that, it is completely within your rights and within your integrity to delete. I know some people are worried about deleting comments because they think they somehow like have to leave them up or something, but like, no, delete that shit. Yeah. And I think I also just want to like highlight, draw like little bright yellow neon highlighter on this. It's like, I know a lot of my clients are worried about like if they say in, or do or appear in any way controversial and they get like a hateful comment. Um, they're like, well, that means my business is over and no one will pay me money again. And I just have to go fall in a hole and be ashamed and cry. And like, you're hearing like amazing ways that are very varied that Sarah has handled with this. And she's rich. <laughs> Like, like none of the hate she's had to field throughout her career, none of the mean comments meant she couldn't make money. So I just like really want to draw a highlighter over that for people. Like, like a mean comment doesn't mean you can't sell your thing. You know, I also think it's important though to look at like, The desire to not be harmful and the fear of like cancellation that are kind of tied up in that. Mm -hmm. So I think there's two things, right? Like someone leaving a comment that suggests that what you've done is, is harmful or inappropriate. A, I don't necessarily know that the comment section is the, the forum for that. Um, but how you choose to engage with that is a little different than how you choose to engage with someone like coming out and just straight hating on you or like being hypercritical or someone who is clearly not your target client who doesn't get it. Like those people are not going to negatively impact your business because they weren't going to buy from you in the first place. So I think like there's like kind of clarifying the the who is important, right? I don't take advice from people whose life I don't covet. That's such a good point. I think like there's two different things. And I actually think marketing wise, um, what you've just described actually serve your marketing. So one is, um, handling any like hateful stuff you get in an empowered way, um, is going to make your people be like, Ooh, I want some of that. 
And then if you make a mistake and you're called out on it publicly, um, and you don't do the annoying corporate thing where you disappear for like three months and come back with a PR drafted, super bland apology. Um, and you just like take whatever time you need to think about it and evaluate how you want to respond. But if you are accountable, when you it's brought to your attention that you made a mistake and you agree that it was a mistake and then owning that, um, and whatever forum you feel is appropriate is also like a very power, very boss move um, that is not going to lose you people. It's going to make people trust you more. It's like, I always like to point out like the New York Times, there's always a little italic corrections at the end of each article. And that doesn't make me be like, they're not a trustworthy news source. It makes me feel like they're more trustworthy because they acknowledge when they make mistakes. Absolutely. And I think that like, even beyond that, you might lose people. You're going to lose people, right? Like you're going to lose, like right now I'm in a launch and I'm sending a lot of emails. I would say I've lost like 10 to 15 subscribers to my email list during this launch. That's good. You know what that means? It means I'm sending so many emails that people notice me in their inbox. If you're only sending like one email a month, People might not think to unsubscribe because you're not bothering them enough for them to make it an active decision about whether or not they want to be on your list. I'm bugging people. I also have people who read every single one of my emails and I have a pretty high open rate. So like, I know I'm going to lose people just by marketing, right? Like that's a normal part of it. I lose and gain a few Instagram followers every day. And that's a normal part of just having an Instagram so as you market, you are going to lose people. It doesn't mean anything about you, right? Like I want people to self-select. I trust people to know what they want and what they don't want and make decisions about the spaces they want to be in. I want to be perceived as an empowered autonomous person who gets to make decisions about what rooms I step into, what emails I read, what podcasts I listen to, what shows I watch, the things I like, the things I don't like. So if I want that for me, I have to also want it for everyone else. Like I want that for my audience. And if you opt into my email list, maybe you got a freebie, maybe you took my quiz, maybe you signed up for an event or something, you got yourself onto my email list somehow, and you've been there for a little while, and then you decide like, this bitch emails too much, or I just want to follow her on Instagram. I don't want to get emails from her, or I actually just want to listen to your podcast. I don't want to get emails from you or whatever, or, the, or I'm, you're, you're totally not for me. I want them to take themselves out of my ecosystem so that I have a better perception of how many, like what percentage of my ecosystem is healthy people who are engaged in potential buyers. Our business is not for us to be liked. I'm not here to, my clients aren't my friends. Like I'm friendly with them, but like the people on my email list, I love them. I'm not, I'm glad they're there. I don't need them to like me. I, it's nice if they do. I want them to respect me. I want them to buy from me. I want them to trust me. Um, but my needs for like being liked, being validated, being safe in relationship, that's not fair for me to put on potential customers. I don't want to hang all of that emotionality on them. I get that from like my friends and my family and my loved ones. I don't want to put that on the business side, right? So like you're going to lose people. 
that is a normal, like, if you have a lot of, like, abandonment wounding, your business can be actually, like, a really good place to start getting comfortable with the idea that it's okay to lose people who are not right for you. And at, it's actually a sign of, like, a healthy list that you, that the people who are not the right fit see themselves out. You want that. And going back to kind of the original idea of, like, alienating people in a big way that makes them say something There are people who have been called out or quote unquote canceled, who have lost thousands of followers who are still in business and still make money and haven't gone anywhere. Like that happens. That's a normal part of like life in this current era is that there are people, right? Like I also, I think about like movie stars, right? Like most of us are never going to have the kind of experience of like, like a George Clooney, like putting out a movie that flops where like universally all these people write terrible reviews of your work and write about how it's like the worst thing in your career and you have to get back up and make another movie. We're probably not ever going to fail that spectacularly. (laughs) And like, so what? Like you say something on the internet and three people are like, ew, this post is dumb. Like whatever, you're going to make more posts. It's going to be fine. That's a really good clarification. I think um, it's part of my philosophy that the more you hurt yourself, you are in your marketing and authentic, you're not going to lose the right people. So you're going to lose people. You're going to lose the wrong people who weren't going to be aligned customers or may have bought from you when you weren't being your full self and bringing your like full joy and medicine to the world. Like you might lose some of those folks, but you're not going to lose the right people for you is my marketing philosophy (laughs) for sure. Um, But that's an important caveat though. Like, yeah, people... Um, unsubscribing, unfollowing, not buying your thing, um, a bad work situation, like Sarah's old boss, we were talking about at the beginning saying, I'm worried this isn't professional. Like that will happen, but that doesn't mean you have to believe them or make their views your truth. (laughs) So, yeah. There is Isa uh, came to, I taught a workshop uh, called The Surprising Ways That Attachment Wounds Show Up in Business. Um, There's so much parallel um, between business and dating. And um, in my work, I talk a lot about uh, the areas of business and how they're connected to the elements and how those elements are connected to the chakras, right? So the same chakra that rules, the same energy center that rules creativity and sexuality also rules money and relationships. That's our our sacral chakra. And so when you think about what relationships are, right, and the way that like all of our stuff gets triggered, the feelings of I did something wrong, I'm in trouble, I Um, In my interpersonal relationships, it's really hard for me to determine between other people's feelings and my feelings. I really take on other people's feelings. I really struggle with boundaries. I have a hard time standing up for myself. You know, if somebody tells me that I did something that hurt them, I go into like spirals of guilt. I really struggle with feeling my feelings. I have a lot of avoidance. I have a lot of shutdown. I have a lot of interpersonal anxiety, right? You have that in your interpersonal relationships. What is business? Business is relationships with lots and lots and lots and lots of people. It's the same thing on a bigger scale. And so if you are struggling with those things in your interpersonal life, they are going to show up. 
in your business. They're going to show up in the way that you handle comments on the internet. They're going to show up in conversations with customers. Those are just people. You're going to have all the same issues you have with other people, with people that you relate to in business. Like our bodies cannot tell the difference. So you have an opportunity in that. It doesn't mean you're bad at business and it doesn't mean you're not cut out for business. But your business will be a mirror for you that shows you the ways that you feel insecure, the ways that you take on other people's emotions, the ways that you struggle with standing up for yourself, the ways that you defer, the ways you don't set boundaries. Your business will show you all of those things. And then you get to make decisions about what kind of personal development work you want to step into in order to grow into being who you need to be to run your business. I've grown so much so that I can be the person my business needed me to be. I'm not the person I was when I started this business. I wouldn't have been able to do this work. I, I know where I'm growing to, and I'm still a little scared of the, of the size I'm growing to, like where I see it going. But I also look at myself and the size my business is at now from where I started, and I know I hadn't done enough personal development work to serve as many people as I'm serving now because I didn't have good enough boundaries. I didn't have a clear enough sense of like what's mine and what's not mine and how to take care of myself when I feel triggered and activated and how not to make my hurt feelings other people's responsibility and how to not hang my needs for approval and validation on like my marketing and on my business. Um, There's like ongoing healing that will probably have to be done for all of us to share our sacred work, to own ourselves wholeheartedly in public, right? Like that's what business is for most of us. We are sharing our sacred work that feels like part of ourselves and the vehicle for that sharing is our actual physical body. So like every single insecurity you've ever had, go put it on the internet and you shouldn't have any feelings about it. Good luck. What? And then, and then charge money for it. <laughs> yeah, I think that just made me realize too, like our businesses are not constant, like they evolve with us. So like for my case, when I was still like kind of shedding my corporate conditioning, my aligned client, when I started my business is really different from my aligned client now. And like my aligned client would have been freaked out to see me pole dancing on my Instagram. <laughs> Like when I first opened my business and now like my line clients are, have pole dancing studios. <laughs> There's a lot of sexy issues with businesses out here, right? Like if you show that you dance, like once I showed dance more, I got way more dance clients. I also have like, you know, people who own pole studios, people who have OnlyFans, people who have stuff like that. Like there's a whole area of business that I know how to serve because I'm in those areas as a consumer. And I wouldn't be getting those clients if I hid that part of myself. And those clients wouldn't get to have the experience of working with someone who knows their industry. You're so right. And I've actually, I've had several businesses, like whether they're like BIPOC oriented or like queer trans issue that have like went with like a mainstream, super professional, like I'm doing, checking all the boxes and like had to stop like fire and stop working with those people because they don't know the language. They don't know how to relate to their people. So if your people are, would also be considered unprofessional or 
different or out of the mainstream or their identity is controversial and you showing up in all those same ways, you are the perfect person to serve them. Even if you might get some pushback from the people who aren't right to work with you. Absolutely. It took me a really long time to just comfortably say that I work with like artists, creatives and healers. And some of that was like, just, I have weird feelings about the idea of niching, but, um, those are my people. Those are the people that have always been here. I didn't choose to work with those people. That's who I know. That's my community. I've been an artist my whole life. I've been in the arts my entire adult life. I have been in a bazillion conversations that were like late night artist conversations about everyone being broke and about how nobody can make any money and how it's impossible to make money as an artist. I know all of the blocks and the limiting beliefs and the feelings and the realities and the circumstances of these industries because I've been in them my whole life. So what I'm going to turn around and start a business where I serve like seven figure executives, those people wouldn't want to work with me. I wouldn't want to work with them. And I don't know anything about their world. I wouldn't be helpful to them. Yeah, 100%. Well, I know I've kept you a little over time. Sarah, thank you so much. This is, I'm going to like go back and listen to this like five times because there, you said so many things I needed to hear. And I know my people will be um, excited to hear about as well. Before I let you go, is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Yes. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I loved it. I loved talking about this. Um, I hope that people enjoy it. If you, um, liked this and you want to find me, I'm on Instagram, just at intuitive edge coaching. That's the name of my business. Uh, if you want to see my dance account, because you're curious, it's Sarah go hella hard, C E R A go hella hard. All one word. Yes. I'm from Oakland. Um, the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven, which Issa is a member of, which is my business coaching um, community and membership and group coaching container kind of all rolled into one. We are opening our doors again. We open our doors twice a year. So we're opening our doors again on the winter solstice on December 21st. And um, if you want help with everything to do with building a business. I would love to help you build your business. And I know like you can come hang out with me and Issa in the coven and it's super fun in there. So um, if you follow me on Instagram, all of the info for that will be dropped pretty soon. And I can send Issa a link for the waitlist, but that's going to be happening really soon. So I'd love to see people in there. Yes. And check out the show notes for links to any of this. I'll have them included as well. Thank you so much, Sarah. Bye. Thank you. There was so much valuable information in this conversation. I'm going to be thinking about it for a really long time. And actually over the course of this conversation and how much Sarah helpfully pointed out nuances and how much context matters, I realized that this is a broader conversation that can happen in one conversation. And being the sexy beast that I am, I want to delve into it further. So I am going to start bringing on additional guest experts to talk more about the nuances of being sexy in your marketing. If there is an aspect of this giant, broad, fascinating topic that you would like to hear covered in the Irresistible Marketing Pod, 
please send me an email with your suggestions. If you have someone you want me to interview, if you have a topic you want me to cover, you can reach me at isa at misamessaging.com. That's isa at misamessaging.com. And I'll link that in the show notes. I also want to let you know if listening to this conversation just like opened up so many doors in your mind and your heart and you're like, I didn't know you could do marketing that way. I didn't know you could have this level of freedom and empowerment in your marketing and you can make it fun and you can make it interesting and exciting. And I want more of that. I want the support to do that. I want my mind blasted open like this over and over again and to just infuse my business with this fire with this passion and attract my aligned customers by being aggressively me please head to the m isa messaging website again linked in the show notes and sign up for my season of support program where you get 12 weekly one-on-one sessions with me where we just vanquish all of your marketing blocks. If you're not sure about marketing strategy, we'll figure it out. If you're not sure about how to be found on the internet, we'll figure it out. If you are running into roadblocks for tactically uh, writing your sales page, figuring out what to say on your social media, we will figure it out. If you're having an emotional stumbling block like imposter syndrome, self-doubt, not understanding how long marketing should take and what it means about you. We will sort it out. There is no homework ever. The homework is always just to do the thing in your business and to rock on. There is a private Facebook group where you can ask questions and get support in between sessions so you're never on your own in those dark moments of owning a business. You also get snail mail presents and free access to my events and um, digital copies of the beloved Marketing Confidence Cheerleader Workbooks while you are in your season of support. And if you check out before December 15th, I'm not even joking, you get free website work from me, a seasoned copywriter, website optimization specialist, and SEO doer. So you have your choice. When you check out for a season of support before December 15th, I'll either write three sales pages for you, sales, search, and user optimized, or three blog posts for you to kickstart your content marketing so you can develop thought leadership in your field and attract the trust and recognition from your audience. Or if you don't have a website yet, I will give you a website plan. I'll let you know the pages you need. I'll suggest what web builder to use based on your needs and your industry niche. Or if you already have a website, but you're not super happy with it, you get a your choice of a free website plan. So how can we make the navigation clearer? Are you missing any pages? Can we make the user or customer journey a little simpler? So If you check out for a season of support before December 15th, you have your choice of one of those three awesome bundles for free, normally hundreds to thousands of dollars, um, if you check out before the 15th. So again, uh, that is your choice of a three sales page copywriting package or three blog post package or a website plan. So Link is in the show notes for a season of support. I would love to have you in my program. Happy marketing. Use your messaging magic for good, y'all. Okay, let's go.